0: I am tired of bad news. I mean, really, really. I, I just want to be reminded, reminded of how good and faithful my God has been and continues to be to this very moment. Well, we're on a different time schedule, so I've got to move a little faster. Open your Bibles with me. To Matthew chapter 17. And I read to you these verses that deal with the tribute money. Verse 24, Matthew 17. When they came to Capernaum, those who had collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? For whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax, from, so, from their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea, throw in a hook and take the, the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Now, I know a lot of people like to take this text and use it as proof that we shouldn't have to pay taxes because we're members of the family of God and therefore it doesn't apply to us. That could perhaps be the worst interpretation of this passage as you would ever find. It nowhere addresses that. In fact, this, is, has, this passage has some richness to it that we don't want to miss. Now, I want to tell you something. We have already sung the message today. I'm going to give you the richness of the text. We've already sung the message today, and that is the three questions that we're going to ask that I believe that Jesus is asking us. In the first song, they talked about uh, the greatness of God, who he is. And then we talked about uh, how he is at work, more powerful than all. And then we talked about his goodness. Jesus asks three questions of us today. In the context of where we're currently living, he asks three questions. These three questions are not only good for the day in which we're living. These three questions are valid for any time in your life. In fact, I would go so far as to say the essence of the gospel is captured in these three questions. Jesus asked you this morning, Do you know who I am? He then asked you, Do you know what I'm doing? And then he asked you, Do you know that I care? Don't you love those questions? Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm doing and do you know that I care? I promise you any context of your life, if you'll apply those three questions, you'll find your way through that. So we wanna see first of all, how I gained that from the text. I just didn't decide to ask three questions and throw them out to you. I believe that the questions are here. It's interesting to observe that uh, Peter is outside speaking to these people who were collecting a tax. And it's, a, it's interesting to observe that um, Jesus was not part of that conversation. He was in the house. But when Peter comes into the house, he says, so what do you think, Peter, about taxes? And I don't know about you, but if I'd been Peter, I thought, how did you know I was talking about taxes? How do you know that, Jesus? And the same as Nathaniel, when he was sitting under the tree and Jesus said to him in John chapter one, Nathaniel, I saw you sitting under the tree. And as soon as he said that, Nathaniel said, oh, you are the son of God. He said, and he was saying something about him. You are unique, you're God. And that's what I believe that Jesus was trying to get across. You know, this message has been all the way through. You understand then that Jesus is saying to him, Peter, do you know who I am? Now I can make the same application in concerning the omnipresence, the all knowing of God, When I look at the latter part of the passage, when he says, go throw in a hook, pull out a fish and get the gold out of his mouth. Come on, God, how do you know there's gold in the mouth of that fish? But he says, go do it. Why? Because he's God. I've read a number of accounts in regards to how that gold got in that fish's mouth this week. And I'm telling you, it took less faith for me to believe that God put it there than to go through some of the shenanigans that they had to go through to get it in his mouth. God can do whatever he pleases. Do you understand that he created the universe from the power of his own voice? Putting a gold coin in a fish's mouth is pretty simple junior stuff for God. But what was he trying to say again to Peter? I am sovereign God. I'm in control. Do you know who I am? Now, in case we missed that, In the 16th chapter of Matthew, just back when Jesus was asking, he specifically asked the question of his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Some said, others said, "Ah, but who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, Peter, you got it right. And flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this, I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll build my church, he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you see the three questions answered there? Who do you say that I am? What do you think that I'm doing? Building my church. And do you not think that I'll bless you? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Answered the three questions in the process all the way through, in in fact, all of the accounts of the life of Jesus given to us in the four Gospels is recording these three things. He wanted to make clearly known who he was. He wanted to make clearly known in his power. So we see Jesus throughout, all the way already through the 17th chapter in Matthew. He's made known that he has power over sickness. He has the right credentials. He has power over death. He has power over the authorities. He has power over Satan. He has power over creation. He is Almighty God, and He came here with a specific message, and that is to bring redemption to us, to save our souls, and to secure us in the presence of His very living life forever and ever. He has those three things, those three things still in mind. Now, your very presence here this morning, you're gathering in your gathering, maybe five, 20 people with you. That's the church. You know, the church is not measured by how many people come to it. It's how many people belong to God. See, we're the church. We're the church right here. The church came to the building today. You you, you are the church. We are the church. And so you are evidence and blessed to know that what God said he was going to do, he is doing right now. So we see, first of all, then, that one question. I'm going to go back and put some more meat on this in just a moment. The second thing that he's saying is, do you know what I'm doing you say, well, Mike, how did you gain that out of that reference here? Well, what he's talking about here is the temple tax. The temple tax is given to us in Exodus chapter 30. And in that passage, and I I look at it here with you, in Exodus chapter 30, here he specifically says that in, in quoting this, then the Lord also spoke to Moses saying, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them... Then each one of them shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, so that they will be, there will be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone who is numbered shall give a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel is, uh, and a half a shekel as con- a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and older shall give the contribution to the Lord. The rich shall not pay more than the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel. When you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourself, you shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and shall give it to the service of the tent of the meeting that it may be memorial for the sons of Israel before the God to make atonement for yourself. Four times in there, what does he mention? The atonement. A ransom for yourself, You shall make a contribution to the Lord for an atonement of yourself, an atonement money, a memorial, atonement for yourself, four times. So what what is referencing here is, is, is it right to pay this tax? And Jesus says, of course it is. Now, this is not a civil tax. It's not a government tax. It's not a sales tax. This is a tax specifically given over for the temple to carry out what it's supposed to be doing. And that is making atonement for man's sins. The interesting part about this is, is that Jesus is saying to Peter, yes, go pay it. Now, if you're thinking at all, you have to stop and think, wait a minute. (laughs) Jesus doesn't have to make an atonement for sin. Jesus doesn't have to be ransomed. Jesus doesn't have to do that. You're exactly right. Jesus didn't have to be baptized either. Jesus didn't have to take on flesh either. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross either. Jesus didn't have to take our sins either. What he's doing, he says, I'm willing to do all for mankind in order for them to understand that I'm 100% invested in this atonement of your life. You ask, what is God doing today? He's in the business of saving souls. He's in the business of transforming lives. He's still doing that. And he's telling Peter, that's what I'm doing. Now, there may be a lot of tools that he uses in that process, but he's accomplishing one purpose. When he told his disciples, do you go out and what was it in Matthew 28, you make disciples. That is, you start from the very scratch or the very beginning, unbelieving people, hostile to God, enemies of God, and you share the message. That was his great commissioning that went on when he was ready to depart from this earth. Go out and make disciples. What is it? It's evangelism. It's proclamation of the gospel. It's the good news. It is that Jesus Christ made atonement, ransomed us. And Jesus is saying to Peter, no, I don't personally need this, but I want you to know something. I am linked in without question to this message of atonement. And I want everybody to know that. And we see that later on in all the epistles that are written, the letters that are written. It always has its central focus around Christ. In fact, if you recall again, what we just looked at in Matthew 16, after he said, I'll build my church, the next verse is right after that. He said, now I've gotta go up to Jerusalem. I'm gonna suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders and, and I'm gonna be crucified. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be buried. Why would he start talking about that at that moment? Because that's the central theme of all of his message. It's the gospel. Peter messed up there and he had to rebuke him, get it corrected. He said, no, I came here. Even as John the Baptist said, when he saw him coming at a distance, he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, not sins. He takes away the principle of sin from the world. He said, this is my message. Now, the third question that I think Jesus is asking is, do you know that I care for you? Peter may have thought, it's not given to us in the passage here, but Peter may have thought, oh, where are we going to get money for taxes, temple taxes? Maybe you thought that at times when you're paying your federal tax. Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was going to owe this much. Where am I going to get that? Well, Jesus understood that Peter may have felt the pressure on that, although Peter said, Yeah, we're going to pay it. I don't think Peter knew how he was going to pay it. I'm sure he didn't have this in mind that he was going to go fishing for the money. But he said, Peter, take a hook, put it in the water, and the first fish that comes out, reach in his mouth and get the gold out. That's a strange story, folks. I don't know if you know that or not, but that's strange. I mean, that, and it's only strange because of the context. What was Peter? Peter was a fisherman. And he could have said reverently, are you nuts? Do you know how many fish I've caught in the experience of my lifetime? And I guarantee you, Jesus, I've never seen a gold coin in there. And if I had seen it in there, I wouldn't be selling fish. I'd be cashing in gold. Come on. But you know what I love about Peter? Peter is, you know, he's getting it. He's getting it. That in his presence is the living God. And if he says to me, go put a hook. And what I really like about this, he doesn't even say bait the hook. (laughs) It just seems to me he puts a bare hook in there. Doug, have you ever caught a fish with a bare hook? Not me, I haven't even caught a fish with bait. (laughs) And he puts it in there. And he just says, put the hook in. the first fish that comes in, get the gold out of his mouth. Some of you fishermen out there from now on, you're going to be looking in the mouth of that fish, aren't you? Yeah, you want to know what's in there. And take it and pay the taxes. There is no getting of the gold without the going of the servant. Do you know that? On the hike that I was on on Friday, I asked the guys, I said, when have you found unexpected gold? Telling them a little bit about the message. It was fun just hearing their stories about unexpected gold. But none of them got the gold, and you know what I'm talking about in terms of the gold, I'm talking about an unexpected blessing of God where he provides for you in a miraculous way. And I believe that he's always doing that. And I believe the problem is, is that we don't always receive it because we don't expect it, and we don't believe it's possible. And we've listened to the misery and haven't followed the solution. In the process. You see those three questions that are there? Don't you love that? He says, do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm doing? And do you know that I care? Now I want to come back and put just a little bit of meat on that if I could for you. First of all, do you know who I am? (laughs) I love this. Do you know that in the Old Testament alone, that there are over 100 different names for God? I'm not talking about over 100 different gods. I'm talking about 100 different names. Now, I'm going to approach this thing about, do you know who God is? First, kind of theologically and maybe a little bit academically. The next one will be more emotional. Well, I just listed some of these things. And if you really want to do something that's really fun, because you may not be able to pronounce some of these names, you can actually, one of my greatest, greatest uh, commentaries on the Scriptures is Google... And you can go Google this and ask for the Old Testament names of God and their pronunciation and meaning. Now, I I didn't get these from that, but it's got some. Tony Evans is the one that has that on his website there. It's so much fun. If you want to have a worship service, do that. Just go and listen to the names of God. Elohim is one name. He's a creator, he's mighty, and he's strong. Oh, I want to remember that, God. I want, want, do you know who I am? I do. You're the creator. You're mighty God. El Shaddai, the mighty one of Jacob. He's the one who speaks with ultimate power and authority. I want to remember that because there are so many voices out there that seem to suggest that they have the power. God, you are my El Shaddai. Adonai, a name that they chose to follow because they didn't want to call him by the name proper name of Jehovah because it seemed too sacred to them. But here was that name that was spoken by even by sinful men to name the name of God. It's often the the Adonai means that he deals with his people. He is their God. And Jehovah, of course, is one we know, and many times it modifies even other words. And strictly speaking, it's the proper name of God. Uh, We see it in capital letters when we read it in the Old Testament in our Bibles. The Lord will provide. Jehovah-Jireh. Remember that? Abraham. When Abraham said when he was going to offer up his son, and then where's the provision? God will provide. Don't you like to remember that name for God in the times of your need? He'll provide. That's who our God is. Yahweh-Rapha the Lord who heals. Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is our banner. That's the one that's given after the great triumph of God. Yahweh Shalom. The Lord our peace. There's a name given to Gideon at the altar built after the angel of the Lord assured him that he would, be, he would not die. Yahweh Elohim. A combination of God's unique name, Yahweh, and generic Lord, signifying that he is the Lord of lords. And it goes on, Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. That means when the Shekinah glory had returned back into the temple, the Lord is there. That's where he's at. And it goes on. I could go on. There's more names that are here. But do you understand? Mighty God, everlasting God, the God who sees all, the most high, the Lord of hosts. These are the names of God. I'm asking the question, God, why would you use so many names? Is it because I am magnificent? I am amazing. It takes these and more names for you even to begin to capture who I am. But listen, friends, he gives us these names so that we can understand who he is and what he desires to do for us. Amen? You got to do that. You got to do that research on that. Now, the one that I really like as well is the one that we've had. And Dr. S. M. Lockridge does this. He's actually quoting from an original piece that was put together by David Reimer. And it's called My King Was Born King. Now, I cannot do it in the black motif. And I won't even pretend to, but maybe I'll jump into it occasionally. You know that one, that long piece we've shown that video, Listen to the words of this and what he's saying about our God. Do you know who I am? The Bible says he's a seven way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. He's Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there are no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong, he's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's empirically powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the center of savior. He's the center savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that that chooses to call him. Yeah, you choose to call him. Well, he's the only one that supplies all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes with uh, and saves. He's strong and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leopards. He forgives sinners. He discharges debts. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Do you know him? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Yeah, yeah, that's my king. Yeah, that's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteousness. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you the heavens of heavens cannot contain him let alone man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your mind. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate could find no fault in him. The witness couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah, that's my king. He always has been and always will be. Amen. Amen. He always has been and always will be. I'm talking about he who had no predecessor, he who has no successor. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. He's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Thine. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, All the power belongs to my king. We're around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but it's God's power. Thine is the power. Yay. Yay. And the glory, and the glory. We try, to, we try to get prestige, honor, and glory for ourselves. But the glory is all his. Yes, it is all his. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? Ever and ever and ever and ever. And when you get finished with all the forevers, then, amen. That's my God. Mm. That's when I wished I had that black motif, man. I wish I could talk like that. You know. but that's my God. That's my God. Listen, friends. The reason we get lost in what's possibly going on around us, in the quagmire of the uncertainty of the circumstances around us, is because we forget who our God is. I mean, I really believe that. I've been telling people nowadays, I said, spend no more time on the news than you do in the Word of God. If you want balance in your life, spend more time in the word than you do about the news. And I've learned something about the news. It's a lot of repetition of the same thing. I'm not saying be ignorant of what's going on. We need to pray and be aware. But let me tell you something. If you know more about President Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and candidate uh, Joe Biden than you do about God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit, you're out of balance. If you know about, more about the rules of the coronavirus than you know about the Ten Commandments, you're out of balance. If you are governed by fear and anger rather than uh, courage and love, you're out of balance. If you know more about the latest news that's going on rather than what God has said in his word, you're out of balance. You've got to know who God is. Now, I want, to know, I want you to know, if you know who God is... You you can ask me the question. People have asked me this. What do you think is going on with this coronavirus? I said, I really don't know. But I know that nothing is beyond God. What is God doing today? What is God doing when when, when a a child dies in your arms? What is God doing? What is God doing when you lose your job? What is God doing when. I, I don't know, but I do know this that He's promised. God causes all things. To work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He does all things. That I do know. That I do know. And I hold on to that. And I don't have to be so curious about what he's doing if I know that he knows what he's doing. Do you know that? And so far, in all my 75 years of life, I've never had God come to me and say, You got any ideas? (laughs) Huh? I got no ideas, but I've got a whole lot of submission unto you, Lord, because I know you're good and I trust you fully. And then when I think about the goodness of God, do you know that I'm good? Do you know that I'm good? I'll just, there's so many illustrations that I could give you from the word of God, but I'll give you one. It's Elisha. Elisha was a prophet of God. We see that in 2 Kings and taken over from Elijah. And Elisha was informing the king of Israel, what the uh, armies of the Arameans were going to do. Well, the king of uh, the Arameans then came and said, after he realized that the Jewish people were ready to fight back because they'd been informed, he then comes and he says, Which, who among you are spies? And he said, well, none of us are spies, but it's that servant over there of God called Elisha. He keeps, every time we make a plan over here, God tells him what the plan is, and he goes and tells the nation of Israel. He said, well, we're going to get him. We're going to wipe him out. He calls his armies together, even through the night, to find out, knowing where Elisha was, knowing where he was, surrounds him. Army, chariots, surrounds where he's at. I love this. It says, his attendant gets up that day, and looks out. Now, I don't know what you have on a bad morning. I don't think this is a good morning for his attendant. He looked out there and he saw armies camped against them. And he wakes up. He said, Elisha, do you see what's going on out there? Elisha, said, I see it. No problem. Greater is he who is with us than he who is in the world. Now, our numbers are greater than theirs. No, I'm I'm thinking about his attendant. One, two, (laughs) got funny math, bud. (laughs) I see two of us, and I see a whole bunch out there. Elisha says, get ready to get the gold out of the fish's mouth, huh? Get ready to get the gold out. Oh, God, open his eyes. And when he opened his eyes, he saw chariots surrounding the mountainside, angels of light, ready to do battle on his behalf. Now, that's a gold mine. That's not a gold coin. That's a gold mine. I love what God has said over the time. I'm going to take care of you. And I love you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you this week and... uh, with friends. Uh, Maybe you have to call up some people. I want you to just think about who your God is. I want you to be so overwhelmed with who he is and what he's doing and his goodness that you can't help but pick up the phone and call somebody. You can't help but go by and say, I want to tell you about the greatness of God. I, I want to tell you, friends, if we would talk more about the greatness of our God, if we talk more about who our God is rather than what's going on around us. What somebody is saying we can't do or should do or maybe not do? Listen, I I can listen to that, but I'm, I'm listening more to what my God is saying, what you can do. And what he's telling me is I can celebrate who he is. We need to fall in love with the greatness of our God again. We need to proclaim the greatness of our God again. We need to celebrate those times when he gave gold out of an unexpected place and we walked in obedience.